It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! Hey, welcome to Unstable Topics, a fast-paced, jam-packed, unhinged, bestie podcast filled with facts, reacts, and made-up games in between. We're your hosts, Sarah and Maggie, and we're excited for you to join our best friend hangout, where we surprise one another with things we find interesting or hilarious just to see how the other will react. Our friendship might be totally stable, but you never know what your bestie might throw your way to knock you off your game. So come shake things up, learn something new, and laugh along with us. This is Unstable Topics. Matt, we have an exciting return guest joining us uh, to, yeah. to break in to the soundtrack to UHF. Guys, I hope that last week's episode was entertaining and turned out all right. Uh, as you heard, there was, <laughs> you know, my computer exploded essentially in the last five wow. minutes of it. But that's we're part back. of the fun, though. I mean, that's very in the spirit of UHF, right? Yes, it was a, exactly. It was, yeah. a, it it was a guerrilla a operation. Piece. We yeah. were doing the best we could. Yeah, there, there'd be a lot more here. Some beeps and bonks and and smoke and stuff. It was in UHF. Exactly. Yeah, it's very yeah, much yeah, in the yeah. spirit. Lovely. And that voice you might recognize as belonging to someone who did an Al TV with us. But here he is now to analyze a song. Patrick McDonald. Hi guys. Hey buddy. I'm here. <laughs> I got so excited. I didn't even wait for my last name. I'm thrilled to be here. This is a this is a big one. I think when we did Al TV, what's what's the difference? What what's what have you guys learned, and how has it grown since I've been here? Um, well, I, I want to get a quick report between Al TV. question. Well, I wow. think the biggest report would be like fucking Paul Shear and Ali Gertz did our show, which is unbelievable. Wow, to us. I like, love them both. That's amazing. That was that was two really crazy gets. Incredible. We've seen yeah. Al's career completely catch on fire and stumble at Polka Party, and then he rebuilt yes. it from the ground to make what I think at this point we both agree is the best album of his career so far, which was even worse. Uh, riding the high of even worse, he gets a movie... And that movie gets a soundtrack, and that soundtrack causes a lot. That movie and that soundtrack causes a lot of damage for Al. Um, so, at the time, at the wow. time that this was released, the movie does bad. The lead okay. single does not chart whatsoever. It actually ends his relationship with Rick Derringer. Uh, this is the last production wow. Rick Derringer does. The note that it said on Wikipedia was. The producer and musician eventually parted ways because Derringer found Yankovic would not listen to any of his input, while Yankovic came to realize that he could do most of the production work himself. Uh, all studio <laughs> albums after would be produced by Yankovic. So yeah, this ends that. This was also uh, interesting to point out, the last Al release to be put out on vinyl until Alapalooza. Really? So all of... 1989. I mean, this was... We were we were phase, phasing out vinyl at this point. Yeah. It was starting to end. CDs. Yeah. And yeah, I remember exactly. the, the Al CDs. The, he was big on the CD. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. And the vinyl part. never came back again. Um, so... Mm. <laughs> Just, just throwing that out there for everybody who's so convinced all physical media will die. Uh, so, but here we are. We're talking about Money for Nothing slash Beverly Hills, a title that I can't even wait to discuss. I was going to say, we actually have to, before we do anything else, the title of this song <laughs> is Money for Nothing forward slash Beverly Hillbillies asterisk. <laughs> That's the name of this song. Officially, everywhere it appears. And it's something that Al hates. He hates oh everything about Oh my God, about can this. you imagine? This is insane. It looks, it's like what you title the file on your computer when you're like trying to figure out what to do with it later. 
Yeah, so, truly. I mean, well, but also Money for Nothing is the name of the real song. Well, so, and that yeah. Was, <laughs> so that was because I'm not sure if you know about this, but the the group Dire Straits put so many hurdles in front of Al in order for this to happen. First and foremost, they had to perform their own parts. So Jim West's hard work to learn this song just goes immediately out the window because it's the the guitarist and songwriter of Dire Straits is playing his own guitar riff. Mark Knopfler is playing the guitar and Guy Fletcher from Dire Straits is playing the keys. Wow. So they were like, we will be doing this. Yeah, we will be doing this. And then (laughs) the fractured title, the title that we're talking about is a result of Dire Straits lawyer who insisted that money for nothing must remain in the title of the parody. Uh, Yankovic was unhappy with the title and stated that he would have rather titled it Money for Nothing for the Beverly Hillbillies or Beverly Hillbillies for Nothing. But the legal title would also feature the asterisks next to Hillbillies, although is often printed without the marking. Um, just craziness. Also, the song is fully credited to Mark and Sting, the original writers of Money for Nothing, and yep. Paul Henning, who wrote the theme song for the Beverly Hillbillies. So I think Al gets almost zero credit across the board on this movie wow. or on this well, song. So Sting Sting gets a writing credit on this? Oh, this is a delightful tip. Sting gets okay. a writing credit on this because, uh, and Matt, you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong in this, this urban legend, but the story that I heard was that the police were recording in the same general vicinity, like in the same recording area yeah. where Dire Straits was recording, and they approached Sting with the song and said, would you like to lay down a vocal for this. So Sting sang the uh, I want my, I want my, I want my MTV. But Sting did something very, very smart (laughs) was that he sang it specifically to the tune of his song, Don't Stand So Close to Me, so that they could only use it if they also put Sting as a writer because they were using part of a police song now in Money for Nothing. (laughs) That is the Holy official shit. story that is out in the world <laughs> well, of this song. And, and what I know, I do know about that recording because that w- that happened at Air Studios Montserrat, which is a it was a recording studio that George Martin from the Beatles created yep. uh, this island. And then it, there was a volcano, and you know the island disappeared. It was all this stuff. But that's where like I worked for Margaritaville, so that's where Jimmy Buffett recorded Volcano, and that's where Dire Straits went, and the police went, and that was like there was like, a crossover where. Sting was leaving and Dire Straits was still there and he hung around for the day and clearly made a lot of very smart fiscal moves <laughs> while you hanging out on this island. That's yeah. brilliant. I didn't you know, know it's funny. I didn't yeah. It just came up again recently. I see you guys saw that clip going around talking about how uh P. Diddy still has to pay Sting every day. This is the story that he has to pay five thousand dollars a day for uh the I'll be missing you sample. For yeah. the rest of his life, he said. For the rest of his life. Now that <laughs> is that's an exaggeration. That's not actually true. Okay. But I like the fact that I, I think someone admitted that publicly. I don't know if it was Sting or 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 P Diddy, but it was. Uh, I think Sting uh, really enjoys feeling like he's very savvy business wise. <laughs> <laughs> and by every measure, he is very savvy business wise. But I yeah. like the fact that not only is he that way, but he's like. Check me out, everybody. Yeah. Get a load of this. He, he <laughs> brags he about does, it. Yeah, he Watch does me put energy. my own song into this other song. <laughs> that, I think that's the wildest thing that's is that so it's like, amazing. it's not a thing where it's like, if any one of us pulled either one of those moves, we would like maybe take it to the grave or like only our friends would know about it. Stings like, Seriously. Yes. call a press conference. I need the world yeah. to know what oh I God. just did. Patrick, yeah. you called this out as one that you specifically wanted to talk about. So let's. Let's start there. Yeah. Why, why this song? What about this one? Well, I was just a huge fan of UHF when I was a kid. I was looking, actually, I have my like high school DVD collection in here, and I was mm. looking because I had UHF, because UHF came as one of those DVDs. I don't think this is the actual one, but I have one. It was, it was a two-sided DVD that yes. was... A nightmare for any kid with anxiety because it's what am I'm going to scratch this? Like I don't know what to do with this DVD. This is very cool. There's so many features on here, but I'm going to ruin this. There's no way for me not to. But I was really obsessed with it. And I, this song, I remember being kind of like uh, crazy for me because the in the movie they treat it like it's a big turning point for him. But there's no reason for it to be. <laughs> we, we literally last week just talked about this scene 
could completely not exist and not a second of the movie is changed by its own narrative function at all. And it's kind of like the only full song he does in the whole movie, right? I'm pretty sure they play the entirety of Let Me Be Your Hog, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Great. great. (laughs) But this is like the presentation of like, this is the music video. And I was like, this is the promise that Weird Al was going to deliver. He was going to add songs into this movie. This is the Mm -hmm. one he chose. It's about the Beverly Hillbillies, which probably, I'm wondering if there's any legal ramifications of that as well. I wonder if there's any license I'm sure that, well, that's what I mean. I think he has to pay all of the money from this to to the writer of that theme song as well. It's it's so (laughs) it's so strange because you're right. The way it's presented in the movie, he is supposed to wake up with a light bulb idea from this dream, but we don't get the light bulb idea for like 10 more minutes when he sees Stanley on the TV at the bar. Like it is so inconsequential to anything. (laughs) It doesn't, it it really doesn't fit at all. Unless the only thing I can think of is maybe when they made this music video, they're like, man, this is a really expensive video. We should put it in the movie somewhere just to like, maybe, to reap some benefit. I was going to say that's something I couldn't figure out because in the anticipation of this episode, I was trying to figure out like what came first, right? Like, is yeah. did he have this already and was like, oh, I'm going to put this into the movie, or did he think I want to get a new single into the movie? Like, I, I don't know which, like, like how this was written in because either way. Right. It seems clunky. <laughs> but, and I'm so curious yeah. about all processes. It doesn't sound like he thinks about any sort of legal ramifications when he picks a song. It sounds like he's like, oh, this is a fun one. I'm going to go with it. Uh, yeah. And then I guess every single one. I mean, you guys are you're going to get to Amish Paradise in yeah. a, a few mm-hmm. months. But that's that's probably the whole thing there. where He just like doesn't know what he's walking into every single no. time. Well, so something yeah. that I did not know until today that Money for Nothing was not the original song that he wanted to do this with. Hey, there we go. This is another case of Prince saying no. He wanted to do this with Let's Go Crazy by Prince. And and once again, Prince said, nah, I'm good. Wow. <laughs> and, Did he want to do like Beverly Hillbillies? Let's I go think crazy, that was, was the it? plan. I think it's a, so it says... <laughs> really? Wait a minute. No, wait. Really? He wanted to do... Why? It says Yankovic <laughs> reveals on the DVD commentary for UHF that the concept for Money Nothing slash Beverly Hills was originally a parody of Prince's Let's Go Crazy. However, Prince refused or was consistently unreceptive unre- to any ideas from Yankovic. <laughs> Like, wow. Oh, what I wouldn't give! I can't. I can't even wrap my head around what that would be. Yeah, I really, really want to know. I, I I'm maybe like it was googling if there's anything on here. That, maybe it was. Yeah. So maybe we're thinking about it. Maybe it was a different show, right? Because think of the way that the verses are in "Let's Go Crazy." Like the Beverly Hills Billies theme wouldn't work out, but I bet another TV show theme Al figured out fit right in with that. Dun, dun, dun. Ba-dun, ba-dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, Cause and that that's getting to a larger point here, which is that this is ostensibly, this is the same thing he did several years ago on Brady Bunch, right? Yes. Where he takes the, uh, the music from the safety dance and basically just inserts the Brady Bunch theme song lyrics into that this yeah. by comparison is so much better yes it's and- so much better done like because that was clunky and weird and it, it, it like listening to it i was like this is just like kind of trying to smush these two things together in a uh in a very like it works but it is like it doesn't feel natural it didn't feel like it had a purpose at all like it just felt like i i have to do a safety dance parody let's try this because it looks like it were like like there was no but this like the juxtaposition is so outrageous yeah that like it works in a way like i will say i i did i think you're probably on the same av club article but he literally says i had a parody of let's go crazy that was about the beverly hillbillies yeah My God, I'm I'm shook, guys. I cannot believe I that. That was I'm the first that idea. That the Beverly Hillbillies was the idea. That blows my mind. That that was the non-negotiable. That that's what he's taking from something and putting into something else. Look, he probably sent Paul Henning already his check for fifty dollars for the lyrics. Oh so he's God. like, yeah, he can't get it back. Back in the day, you could get checks back like that. Um, man, yeah, that that I. It's so fascinating. I mean, I guess that's the beauty of Weird Al is that there's this kind of like 
arbitrariness to his art, yeah. right? Not yeah, to get like yeah, too yeah. deep in it, but it's like funny because it's frivolous. It's like I took this powerful thing that's really important and I made it about baloney or whatever. Like it's like he does that so well. So it's like it's to sit down and be like, well, why do you do this one? Probably yeah. betrays what he's trying to do. <laughs> But I'm going to keep doing it because it blows me away. Yeah. I, just to settle on Beverly Hillbillies is, is so funny to me. There's something um, – uh, some previous guest mentioned this, and I can't remember who it was. It might have actually been Brendan, but pointed out that like uh, – from Wheatus, uh pointed out that Al has qualities that are almost like, like Andy Warhol, right? Like the idea yeah. of like we're going to – it's just about pop culture, and we're going to take these two pop culture ideas and we're going to smash them together – in a way to make something else and they don't belong together other than the fact that it's just still all about pop culture as a whole being the piece and right. society being the art of, of all of it. And that's like, again, a very uh, big grandiose way to describe this very silly parody, well, but I really no, think it's I like true. That. I really think that's what it is. Like that's like, that's what makes this yeah. so, you know, it's like a, it's like, you know, fusion cooking or something like yeah, that. Like right. you just find like yourself the, with this yeah. thing that these two things shouldn't go together. And because they shouldn't, it's oddly satisfying. It's right. Like the distillation of intake in a day. If you turn exactly. on the radio, then you watch TV and it's like you're putting it all together. It's totally. Yeah, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. It, so I, I recently did a tour of this this manor that's right by uh, Sleepy Hollow in New York. They were talking about how inside that manor, everything looks like it's built out of marble and pine and all this stuff, but every element of the house is faux because at the time that the house was built, it was more expensive to have a fake version of something than to get the real thing. And you wanted to show off how much money you had by going wow. and being like, oh yeah, no, we wouldn't, we wouldn't dare import regular marble. Uh, we're going to make faux marble. My point of that story being that I'm wondering if Al is on cloud nine so much that he's like, fuck it. I'll pay the money to Dire Straits and the Beverly Hillbillies just because I fucking can. I'd like, <laughs> like, you know, like, like, I'm just imagining. I'm and I think it's stunts. funny in my head because Al is so not this person. But like Al at that like Jim Morrison, like I'm a golden god level where he's just mm -hmm. like, like I'm Weird fucking Al Yankovic. I'll do whatever I want. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's what I want to believe. I want to believe this, this yeah. was his Scarface moment. Absolutely. Yeah, just like just out, absolutely outrageous. <laughs> and then it humbled him. Like it brought him, yeah. him too close down to the, the sun, clearly. <laughs> yeah. So there's one note about the actual video that I think is extremely important for all of us. Do you know who designed the animated characters that we see in this video, like who is the person who was brought in to design the Owl and Judd uh, animated characters? No. I don't know that. David Silverman, who is like essentially the co-creator of The Simpsons with Matt Groening. Like he started there. He started with Matt Groening at Tracy Ullman and is like, is described as the man who created the rules on how The Simpsons need it to look. Uh, wow. So much so that he's the person who got to direct the Simpsons movie that came out in wow. 2007. No kidding. But his now wait Whoa. his humble beginnings were animating uh, a Al Yankovic Dire Straits uh, mashup character. For so now wow. wait he didn't he didn't do the uh, the Dire Straits one he just did the parody he just did the parody one for UHF. Wow. Because it's, I, I was gonna say, I, I would have not been surprised if it was the same person who did them both, because they really look oh, yeah. like, in terms of a video lookalike, they really did an incredible job of matching they're, the uh, the look of that Dire Straits video. Yeah, there. I was, I mean, just to speak on the video, there are no. Uh, it's such a one to one, uh, like parody. It almost feels like a, a just an exact homage to it, or just like a recreation, and then with clips of the Beverly Hillbillies. Together. I was gonna say, there's no yeah. jokes in it. Yeah, there's no jokes. I was gonna say it's actually like, <laughs> and not to be too mean, it's almost kind of boring because it yeah. is just like yeah. a straight exact copy right. all the way down to the bands like the drum fill the uh jumping off the stage like the platform everything is just exactly the same exactly. and uh yeah other than <laughs> inserting some beverly hillbillies footage it's just right. the same video uh right which is it's just it's also why you're watching it in the vid in the movie and you're like what's the joke here yeah like there that's the other thing where you're like there's nothing there what's happening like it's yeah. truly like it is this this really just just kind of 
brings out a lot of ennui in me, a lot of existentialism. I'm like, what's yeah, the absolutely. Point? And absolutely, I just want to confirm, yeah. I checked, I had to check David Silverman's IMDb credits. But yes, it is only this. <laughs> like, wow. like, it's not that he's tied to the Dire Straits one at any point. He also was the animator for a Tom Waits video called Tom Waits for No One. And <laughs> he really good. and he also yeah. animated, if you've ever seen, it was kind of a box office bomb along with UHF, One Crazy Summer, um, oh, where John that. Cusack is a cartoonist. He did all of the animation for what John Cusack's character is uh, drawing. Uh, which makes sense because oh, wow. along with The Simpsons, he was tied to Eek the Cat. Eek the Cat was created by the director of uh, One Crazy Summer, who also did like Better Off Dead, which is probably the most well-known. Right, right, right. Sorry, we're going down a giant spiral about Dave no, Silverman on our I, podcast. I, I, that's, but... that, that's a that's a really amazing uh, little piece of trivia that he he worked on this. That's crazy. And then obviously one day we'll get to the Simpsons episode where Al shows up as his, as himself say. to do the Jack and Diane parody. So that's right, wow. Patrick. I was thinking about this also. Nothing to do with this. How is it possible that in this long career of Al, we will never be able to invite you on for a Jimmy Buffett parody? Because somehow, despite the massive cult popularity of Jimmy Buffett, I don't think he's ever once even dabbled in a Buffett-style parody or anything. I know. I've never seen it. It's funny because it's it's I, I yeah it's it's stunning. I don't know what he would he he could knock Margaritaville out of the park. He could or do just a any of paradise. Yeah, yeah, imagine him taking his demented, close. dark sense of humor to the easy, laid-back style that is every Jamie Buffett song. It's like, it I don't understand great. how it didn't happen. <laughs> I know, it's it, it's a huge bummer. I, 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 wonder, I wonder why. I wonder if, because Jimmy's always been very lighthearted and, and has jokes and is very funny. So I wonder if it's too close to... Oh, like a hat like, on a hat what type situation. What he does, yeah. That's yeah. I exactly what like, I was going to say, yeah. I, I remember yeah. we talked about this last time you were on is that Jimmy Buffett oh, yeah. has such a sense of humor in what he yeah. does. And maybe for Al, parodying someone with a sense of humor is just less fun. Yeah, that's why he keeps yeah. asking Prince. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to was, get people like against their will. Yeah, <laughs> Anyone who's like exactly. too eager, it's not, yeah. uh, it's not as good. I feel like Al's in the best position of his life because now... Like, even in the 80s and 90s, there could be a certain vein of, like, people being like, yeah, you don't don't let Al Yankovic parody your song. Could you imagine any artist in 2023 saying no to Al, how badly no. the internet would turn on that, that particular person at this point? Well, again, to jump ahead a significant amount, the last time we saw it, and it might be the last time it ever happens, was with Lady Gaga. Yeah. And it was Ooh, a yeah. swift response where people were just like how dare you and she had to come out and be like it wasn't me it was my manager and honestly i don't know if that's true or not but it's a great right. it's a great answer when you've yeah, made a mistake blame it on this person who no one's ever going to see <laughs> uh and it worked out like you know she wound up like course correcting and it was fine but yeah, yeah no that was the last time i saw it and i remember the reaction was crazy yeah. people were really so upset wild. with her yeah, I mean, I, it's funny too because when you think about like who Al's gonna hit next, he can obviously hit popular music, but you never know if he'll throw a, like a forty-year-old parody in or something. He does every once in a while, like to go back and, and I do love something that old too. like that. Yeah, totally. So maybe he'll hit a Margaritaville, or maybe he'll hit a yeah. Son of a Son of a Sailor, or something like that. There you we go. Gotta, we gotta see if it hits. That would be very exciting. I, uh, I just, or I, I'd see them collaborate or something. Anything. Yeah. I mean, look, if he's good enough to collaborate with. Alan Jackson. <laughs> yes, exactly. Why not Al? Well, because <laughs> similar vibe, but like the horror podcast that I do, we recently recorded an episode on Club Dread. And like the story yeah. behind that is like when they sent him the Coconut Pete songs, he was like, I want to play these live. Like, like yes. he was yeah. like, so he thought it was so funny. He wanted to yeah. do all of those songs. Yeah. Then absolutely he nobody saw Club Dread, and he was like, "Well, never mind." But, <laughs> yeah, right. but at a certain point, no, he wanted to play like Pina Coladaville at live oh, shows. Yeah. Like, I wish he did. I yeah. I, uh, I and then they got the Hawaiian shirt connection. I'm sure yeah. there's a lot to it. I wonder if there has been a. Let me. I don't. Let yeah. Me see if they've ever play. even been photographed together. Maybe they're yeah. the same person. Well, why? <laughs> why do you do that? I <laughs> While you do that, I just want to point out in terms of the older things, like this was a couple years, like uh, Money for Nothing came out in 85. Yeah. And this comes out, it gets recorded in 88, but comes out in 89. So that is a few years for Al. You know, again, things moved a lot slower back then. It's not like a yeah. old, old song. But at this point, at the time he records the parody, it is for sure successful. Which is also like, yeah. weirdly 
85 yeah. is still newer than Let's Go Crazy would have been because Let's true. Go Crazy true, was true, 84, true. I think. And again, maybe in the name of now we're starting to get to the bottom of it a little bit more, maybe in the name of putting something in his film, yeah. maybe it was like, well, I can't take a, sh- a risk that yeah, I'm going right. to do a parody of a song that will flop because yeah. then I have a parody of a flop in the middle of my movie. <laughs> yeah. And that's just going to age it poorly before it even comes out. Yeah. Right. So and this had to be a yeah. sure thing. You'd have to have a good song in the middle of it that'll be like, oh, that's the one. Yeah. I mean, but that's the exactly. whole question of when I first saw UHF, I was so excited because I was a kid who was obsessed with the the food album. And then I found uh, UHF and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be my favorite movie. And I remember watching it on like a little portable TV, like in a car or something like that, driving mm. somewhere. Um, uh, <laughs> and it wasn't like a flip up. It was like a TV with a VHS base on the bottom. That oh, I love those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the best. And I remember being like, where's the music? <laughs> like, kid, I'm like, I know. I love the music. I love the parodies. He like clearly is parodying movies in that show. But it's like, yeah, or in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, that's the only song you get. And you're like, it's so baffling. But it, yeah, Al has that weird prism where you can like wonder if what he's doing is like a fuck you like a joke or like uh like you can never he can claim that everything he does is not a mistake because it's like a commentary or a parody or a subversion of something that's the thing that we've definitely noticed doing because you did the very first al tv with us i'm Mm -hmm. pretty sure i mean in the later al tvs i feel like we've kind of concluded that part of him doing al tv really turned into like him getting back at anybody who who like declined a parody or like <laughs> see like there are so many things where you're like man he seems to be really going at this particular celebrity for some reason right and then you do like a little bit of research and it's like oh okay that around this time he asked so and so about a parody and they said no and then now it's like every al music news it's like a punchline tied to that particular person right, where yeah. it's like they're I don't want to say that Al was ever mean because he's not, but there definitely seems to be a little bit of, at least in the eighties, like how dare you (laughs) type attitude. He's not like mean, mean, but he's pointed. He can certainly, uh, he can certainly uh, uh, poke fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. exactly. Find that, find that moment. Did you guys, uh, not sorry, something of a hard segue, but uh, uh, did you guys notice listening to this? Did you do a comparison of the two? Like I listened to Dire Straits, Money for Nothing, and then I listened to his, his version. And it's extra interesting to know that Mark Knopfler played on both of them. Al's version is oddly like better. So let me tell, so I've got a note for you on that, my friend. I knew you would, Matt. So according to Yankovic, his guitarist, Jim West, had practiced the song for weeks and as a result could recreate the original. However, Mark has been playing the song for years and as a result was much more relaxed in his performance. Al swears that West's version sounds closer to the recorded version than what you Makes get in the song. Makes total sense. Because <laughs> like, it, it's wow. a thing you do as a musician. You play a song, like you record it, but then after you record it, you tour it. And like he's playing that song every night. For years, we just established it's been like four, th- four or five years, or three or four years. Um, so yeah, he has gotten better at it. Yeah. Uh, Mark Knopfler has gotten better at playing the part, <laughs> and so now inadvertently jokes on you, Mark Knopfler. You wanted to play it again. Now Al's version sounds better than yours. That's so <laughs> you funny. goofed. I, I really thought listening to it, I was like, this is crazy. Like, it actually, it's like a yeah. better recording. Yeah. I really think it is. I'm not like, uh, no, uh, obviously I'm a huge Al fan, but seriously, I was like, wow, this is like a better track. Yeah. It feels the, cleaner. Than the Dire Straits feels one, like, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I, smoother. Yeah, totally. I yeah. think the word that Al used, relaxed, is like exactly Relaxed is it. good. Like, it feels like he's just effortlessly playing this riff that I think is still like widely considered one of the 10 greatest guitar riffs that's like ever been recorded. It is. Right. And it is known for being exceptionally difficult because it's a finger picking part. Like you can't yeah. play that with a pick. You have to use your, it's a, it's a, like almost like a classical style picking part. Um, so a lot of guitarists, a lot of rock guitarists never even learn to play that way. So it's a very uh, advanced uh, thing to do. Wow. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, uh, I'm just, I love the fact that, he came on and did it and did it like not wrong, but like not the way Al wanted (laughs) it. And he just had to go with it anyway. It was like something about that just cracks me up. It's hilarious. I I do think that there's an element that you find in music too. And I, and I'm curious 
because Matt's really the only real musician, like true, true to form musician on this chat. I've picked up an acoustic guitar a few times, uh, but like <laughs> you do hear these stories of like artists at a certain point. Beatles are like a beautiful example of this, right? Where it's like you get so sucked into the production and like mm-hmm. what the song sounds like and like layering all this different stuff and building and building and building. And then, you know, those artists ultimately get disappointed that people wish that it sounded like the band that they loved. And Matt, you and I have had these conversations before of like, I would way rather an artist I love take a giant swing and miss than just put out the same album 15 times or whatever. But I think that it's not even, I don't want to hear Green Day play Dookie for 14 different albums. But I do want Green Day to always maintain that raw, energetic, like that that thing that you can't ever recapture, which is like yeah. 17-year-olds be, ge- being given an opportunity who don't know any better. So they're just going right. into it raw. It's the same thing with what makes the first Wu-Tang Clan album is so good and they could never replicate it again because like they didn't know any better about how to keep the beats on time or anything. And it creates this weird rawness where it doesn't sound like it's in a studio at all. It sounds like they just have the turntables there and they're just going. Yeah. And like, and once you get the production involved, it falls apart. And I think the original money for nothing has that rawness to it that this lacks. Here's the thing that is, this is not a universal truth, but people don't really realize some like hearing someone be really, really good at something can just be boring. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's, uh, it's the reason why like the, the greatest fastest guitar players in the world are not usually headlining enormous stadiums. They're playing at guitar center up the street (laughs) for no one. I mean, it's really not, it has to be so much more than that. And hearing someone who's technically great play technically great can be fun for a moment, but it's not special. It's not exciting in the way that hearing someone like learning how to make something is as you just described, Matt. And we've said it before on the show. I think it's so true. A part of Al's secret to longevity and success is that the nature of what he does allows him to never get too comfortable. Yes. He's always pushing himself into a new territory. He can always like parody something that he doesn't, maybe understand a genre that he has not touched before. And he and his band get to like do a deep dive and learn how to do something they haven't done. Well, I think, and that's so many artists will never do that. And they'll just wind up playing the same type of thing their whole career. And after 20, 30 years, like how in the world can you be expected to keep finding new uh, terrain to discover in that? It's also, I think what makes when he, even outside of music, you know what I mean? Like when he shows up in say a funnier die sketch, there is something that's charming about it because it's like he's not a great actor, <laughs> like, right. but he's but got those eyes and that voice, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah, like you're just like, hey, he's going like, for it, he's doing his thing, yeah. like like it's like, but it is, it's it's something that's charming because it's almost like you're watching people who've been doing say improv for years, but they're joined by like one person who just finished their first year at Groundlings, and, right. and they go, they have a ba- they have a basic like a baseline understanding of the rules and like how to do a yes end, but they're not like on that same level, but like, it's fun to watch Al even play in those types of worlds, which I think is why everybody wants to work with him in some way. If they're even remotely tied to music or comedy, they want to find a way to work with Al because he seems like as, as big of a celebrity as he is. And I'm not saying this to shoot ourselves in the foot. I, I really, truly believe that it's not a question of will we ever get Al Yankovic on weird algorithm, but like (laughs) when, and that's, and I'm only saying that because he seems like that person that like, he does want to play in the sandbox. He's not that person who's like, oh, I'm only going to play in the sandbox if it's a person of like this caliber. It's like, if you're passionate enough and good enough at whatever it is that you're doing and he can tell that it's something that he'll have fun doing, then he's 
He'll do it. Like, I think Allie was oh, the totally. one that was like, I don't know. He did my Simpsons podcast. Why wouldn't he do your podcast? <laughs> like, <laughs> he totally will. He totally will. I mean, we had a we had a thing with like, you know, I with my little experience with Jimmy Buffett. It's like we hosted a podcast about Jimmy Buffett for like eight years. And then Radio Margaritaville found us and was like, do you want to be DJs on our station? And then we became DJs on the station doing that for two years. And then they had us. Now we're interviewing people and like for the official podcast for them. So I just interviewed like John Oates and Graham Nash and we interviewed all Amazing. It's been amazing, but it's it's cool because you just have to, especially for this, and we're kind of talking about the podcast now, but it's like (laughs) you have to keep doing it, and then once you do it, people know you, and then you're just it just happens. It just it's absolutely it's a very much a version of manifesting. Yeah, I think our thing is like we consistent, intentional. (laughs) We physically could not release that episode until we were done the entire project because it would right it would literally be the end of the show. (laughs) Right. Very true. yeah, Yeah. Absolutely. It is mind-blowing and heartbreaking how many original scripts are written every year but are never made. So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! Hey, welcome to Unstable Topics, a fast-paced, jam-packed, unhinged, bestie podcast filled with facts, reacts, and made-up games in between. We're your hosts, Sarah and Maggie, and we're excited for you to join our best friend hangout, where we surprise one another with things we find interesting or hilarious just to see how the other will react. Our friendship might be totally stable, but you never know what your bestie might throw your way to knock you off your game. So come shake things up, learn something new, and laugh along with us. This is Unstable Topics. Ninety-one Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to 91 Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91donkeylane.com. See you there, you donkeys. I wanted to ask us about because we were kind of going in about like musicians and and the roughness making them the per, the personality of the of the song and stuff like that and yeah. it made me think about how a lot of that the imperfections of a lot of musicians one thing I love about Jimmy Buffett is a lot of his live albums he has a 1979 live album that's like crazy like yeah. he I don't know what happened they I'm sure I can think of a couple of things they might have done before the concert in 1979 <laughs> but they just the whole band is like alive and it's like what is it's called you had to be there and it's mm. like a crazy album um but there's little moments where he kind of shows through his career uh, these feelings, you know, you just get to know him as a person and a genuine person. And he tells jokes and he's funny, but he was big on stage. We Al kind of never uh, is himself, right? Or him, it's like a heightened version of himself, but you never saw him be himself almost anywhere. So where do you think the connection is coming for fans to artists where you feel like you know Al? Like where is it in the, we have similar sense of humors like he it's it's a concocted thing. So I'm curious where you guys yeah. think that that's a good from. question. I like that. Actually, I, I I do personally think that it's a combination of his sense of humor and his musical taste. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's that like it, it hits a mark. I thought of. Yeah. Because we've said before on this show and we're going to start to get to these records very soon. We're like the records that I grew up listening to. Like I heard Al before I heard a lot of the artists that he parodied. Yeah, and then I took right. a break from Al, kind of, and I got into other music. And then I like got older, and then I looked back, and I was like, "Wait a minute! All of the things I like are things that Al parodied <laughs> that well, I heard that's... as a kid." And it was like, did he just incepted all these ideas in my brain? Yeah. Um, but that's a part of what made it resonate. Is like he he has these musical his his musical taste is great, and his sense of humor is oddball and twisted enough that it really works for well, me your friend phil i think said it best on this show of everybody when he came on to talk about you make me and he was saying like you know as any young boy he got into weird al and it was mm-hmm. like great and then he was like well now i'm gonna like serious music so he's like you throw out your weird al yankovic records and you buy like nirvana or or foo fighters or like whatever like the big famous serious band is 
He's like, but if you become like a diehard music fan, you keep escalating and then you start to get into like the really weird nooks and crannies. And when you get into those nooks and crannies where you eventually do end up listening to an Oingo Boingo or a B-52s or a Devo or like these bands that for someone on the outside who doesn't dive deeper, they seem like a goofy, frivolous group. But like you listen to it and you're like, these are some of the most impressive, smart musicians I've ever heard. And then you realize, oh, every song that I thought was an Al Yankovic original was him pulling these specific artists' sounds and styles because this is what he liked. You realize, like, right. oh, he's a very smart music fan. Like, yeah. he's yeah. he's not really listening. I, I'm willing to bet that Al knows mainstream music as much as he needs to for his general career and vibe. But I don't think that he's buying the albums of a top 40 artist. I think he's still right. like into what's the the underground indie stuff that he wishes was more popular so that he could do parodies of it. He has yeah, the taste totally. of like uh, of an indie record shop employee. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, like he's definitely like that's that seems to be his vibe. Yeah. And that's not even counting the comedy side, which is also very left of center and not right. non-traditional comedy. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I get to I totally agree, Matt. And Phil will love hearing that you uh, complimented him so highly there. Well, he had the audacity to stand me up at one of those Swedish shows. I, I know. I well, you him, know what? So. B- believe me, we are fighting big time over that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> another just point in terms of Al's like cleverness, like a thing in this song. And it's kind of what blows my mind about the idea that he wanted to do Let's Go Crazy first is that there is really something here that is fascinating with the lyrical connection between Money for Nothing and this show about the Beverly Hillbillies coming win the lottery (laughs) or no, I'm sorry, who finds black gold or Texas tea and uh, move to California. And the idea of like the working class entering the upper class or this like the juxtaposition of this it actually like there's a lyrical connective tissue here that is really interesting so the idea that money for nothing was the second choice is just even stranger to me Mm -hmm. like i can't understand how that's possible it's crazy i'm still thinking too well yeah i mean and also just breaking it down even more is the fact that the joke is not on the on the title of the song, right? None. Of, it's like it's 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 like yeah. It's just it's it, it, he very rarely seems to do that. Where it's like it's yeah. on the down rhythm of the. It's like on the and the chicks for free. Like yeah. the song what is called and the chicks for free. Which exactly. I and I've also yeah, been sitting yeah. here trying to analyze what he would have done on that print song and i think i it it maybe would be jed goes crazy yeah (laughs) that's the only thing i would guess maybe but then he would have not he would have not used the original lyric it would have just been about the beverly hillbillies but in that context again i I don't man add it to the long list of questions we have for al when he finally comes on this show but um because i'm i'm so fascinated by it but yeah i need you to perform for us how this let's go crazy beverly hillbillies thing would even work because our brains are broken um yeah but yeah it's it's so clever the idea that it was the second choice it just it, it blows my mind it blows my mind yeah it's it's fascinating it's really yeah. really yeah I, I, yeah i just i'm just looking at all the lyrics too it's just like uh yeah i think california california Cal, yeah it's just really really funny I don't it's know. it's also i have to point out because the original the dire straight song and i under it is done as satire and the whole thing is from the perspective of a person who we're not supposed to like but the original right. dire straight song uses a word that i'm not going to repeat on this show <laughs> that al rhymes with it starts with F and Al rhymes with clamp it. <laughs> and it's one of the only lines that Al inserts that is not a lyric from, or that's not a line from the Beverly Hillbillies theme. Yeah. He, yeah, he wrote yeah, that yeah. line in to fit the Dire Straits thing. It is so brilliant, guys. Like that is, that is. Yeah, that little clamp it is a millionaire is such a good lyric. <laughs> oh my God. That little so clamp it got his own cement pond. That little clamp it, he's a millionaire. <laughs> I mean, the, the little things that he added, he, he manages to fit the Beverly Hillbillies lines into the form of this song almost exactly. And then yeah. adds just little moments to fill it in with stuff like that, that only elevates it so much higher. I want to I want to mention too the hills that is which is such a to me as a writer 
it's it's the it's the most desperate thing you could do. He clearly couldn't make it work, <laughs> and he had to add like spoken text to this song yeah. that doesn't exist. Um, but now knowing, I mean, it just feels like it's this is like the end of a CSI episode. It feels like it's all connecting for me that the, he had to like ham fist this, <laughs> uh, this subject matter into this song. Yeah, because um, that's not uh, that's definitely not a thing. There's not a point in Money for Nothing where. <laughs> Where he's just like, yeah. da, da. Like, no, yeah, the only the only one that he does sort of girls yeah. that is. Like, I, don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what that would be. That's what great. What do you mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, the only thing like that in the original that he did keep is the uh, uh, in the uh, in Money for Nothing. They out of nowhere he says the line Hoova Mova, yeah, <laughs> which is like a Hoover, like a vacuum yeah. Hoover Mova, and Al does Mova Mova movie stars, like and has to extend it yet bad. again to get his joke to land. But still, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's I feel like it's rare that I can think of a song where he like he takes because he's again combining two things, so it's not just one song he's parodying; it's two. Right. But right. he's taken just the right amount of liberty. With yeah. all of it to make it work and to make it feel like I, I've been wanting to check Matt because you pointed out how like he has to share the writing credit on this song with so many people. Yeah, I I really hope uh, on Wikipedia he is still credited as a writer. I I will be really sad if he didn't get writing credit for this because the amount of work he did put in to getting this to work the way that it is, he deserves more credit than Sting. Yes. Yeah, I said that. <laughs> if if Sting got writing credit on this song and Al did not, I am. Withdrawing all the nice things I said about Velvet Elvis. <laughs> um, well, I think I think we've gotten to that point where it's time to start doing some rankings, uh, which is always it always feels like I'm getting my sea legs back after we do like a block of like TV episode stuff. Where I'm like, oh yeah, we got to rank this stuff next. Yeah, we haven't done one in a while. Uh, I guess, I guess Matt, really quick before we do. Because um, we usually do this on and stuff like this, and this is our only opportunity. Do we have any particular overall thoughts on Dire Straits as a band? I really like Dire Straits. You really uh, like Dire Straits. I, I've, I mean, I'm not like a diehard fan that has any of their albums, but every time I hear a Dire Straits song, I really like it. I think Money for Nothing is brilliant. I think that Romeo and Juliet is one of the prettiest love songs that has ever been written. And uh, I also can't separate that song from when it's used in Empire Records. There you go. And you'll notice that I've been doing this brilliant thing where I refuse to say his last name because I know I will not pronounce it properly. But the uh, main guy from Dire Straits. Mark Knopfler. There we go. uh, (laughs) Also composed what I think is one of the prettiest pieces of musical score because he did the Princess Bride music. And the, oh, that's um, right, he did. I forgot about and that. And that little guitar that. riff that he came up with for that, I think, is just like weirdly a piece of instrumental music that just feels romantic. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. so, I think that they're very, cool. they're a very talented group. I think he's a very talented guitarist. I mean, that's not a hot take. I think any guitar magazine yeah. would back that up. But um, yeah, but yeah, yeah I'm a is, fan. Yeah. I was going to say there's a documentary called Under the Volcano about that recording studio. That's mm-hmm. really cool. It's kind of a smaller documentary, but it's it's cool because Dire Straits is in a lot of it. And and they talk a lot about how being in Montserrat on that island um, influenced a lot of their album, that, that album that they recorded there. Uh, and that's where this song came from. That's where Walk of Life came from, which is literally written about a, a, a surf teacher that was mm-hmm. like, on the island and had this like little dance that he used to do, and they loved it, and they wrote a song like basically to the rhythm of the dance he did. Uh, and then, uh, but it's it's really cool. So I was gonna say that too. I'm I'm, I'm a fan of Dire Straits and like it's it's hits. And then I like Brothers in Arms in the in the infamous West Wing episode. Yeah, um, which right. is like a great song. And then Walk of Life, I love. Patrick, I've got a dumb question that the answer is probably just like no, but (laughs) you know a lot about this Volcano record studio. I know that Jimmy Buffett has a song and album called Volcano. Did he happen to record that album at this Volcano record studio? He certainly did, yeah. He recorded it <laughs> there. Can you believe it or not? Uh, he was literally looking up at the volcano, and I was like, I wonder when that's going to blow. Yeah. I don't know. And yeah. then they wrote it. And that was the whole name of the that album. That song is so yeah. fucking good, too. That song is that, so much better than it has great. any right to be for a song that has approximately 10 lyrics. <laughs> we, we, uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, we call that his, um, uh, his We Didn't Start the Fire, because at the very end, in live, 
live concerts, he always goes like, don't want to go to no uh, San Juan airport. Don't want to go to no Tennessee, whatever. He like has all these places that he usually says <laughs> in the last one. He's, he adds something that's in current events. So he, for a while, it was like, don't want to go to Mar-a-Lago or whatever it was. <laughs> so there's always like a new one that he adds. So everyone, every time Volcano comes on in the concert, you're like, what's he going to add? What's his current event that Jimmy <laughs> wants to reference? So yeah, he certainly did it there. I, I also, love that in uh, a certain way, that's yeah. about as political as Jimmy Buffett gets it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he, he throws it in. Doesn't want to go to Mar-a-Lago and we'll leave it at that. Yeah, um, there you go. Uh, uh, I, I was also going to say that that documentary is great because it has a lot of those like biopic music moments because Elton John recorded one of his albums down on that uh, recording studio in Montserrat. And I guess there was mm. a part where they were all tired because they all got sick from the food. Or they were been drinking too much. And then they were like, everyone's going home. Like everyone's sick. And then the engineer says, I'm still standing. And guess what? Boom. <laughs> That's where they came up with still standing. I it is it. so I funny it. how many songs come from the absolute <laughs> dumbest origin. I know, right? It's, so it's crazy. <laughs> It's like so some good. of them you're like that can't possibly be true and then it's like the artist like yep that's basically all that happened <laughs> yeah it's my absolute how about you matt what are, what are your dire straits takes <laughs> oh um i i like them i prefer their records that are a little earlier than this to be honest like this album which brothers in arms is the record this is on and it is often on like the best albums of all time list I, I found, like, to me, I once, like, listened to this album, like, start to finish, and I found it very challenging to get through. <laughs> there were certain songs. It's really long. The thing I was building to is, okay, the original version of Money for Nothing it's that's like on the record. It's like nine minutes long. It's like nine minutes long. <laughs> Guys, it's way too long. <laughs> dire Straits, for the single, cut it down. It's way too long. Dire Straits cut it down wow. for the single to, like, four. Yeah. And Al cut it to 308. God bless you, Al. That's Wait, the right length as far as Al I'm concerned. It, I have to double work. check this real quick. Did Al, I wonder if this was intentional. Al's is the shortest, I think, of all of them. Well, no, 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 obviously. Mm. But yeah. did he cut it down to the exact length that Billy Joel says a song will be cut down to in The Entertainer? 305, I think Oh, uh, 305, so close. I think this is 308. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to have, have a here. hit, you yeah. got to make it fit, and they'll cut it down to 305. 305, yeah. Uh, nice try. That would have been so good if... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's my only note. I would just like I I'm I think Al's uh, editing choices on this song were very good. It's a great riff. I don't mind it running for a long time. Not nine minutes. It's too long, guys. Uh, <laughs> it's too long. That's insane. <laughs> I challenge anyone to listen to the original Money for Nothing and just get have a great time the whole time. It's tough. <laughs> it's real tough. Challenge or punish? Yeah, that's too much. <laughs> Matt, where are you gonna put this on your parodies list? Because I'm actually not sure where I want this to land just yet. I, I actually do know, so I'm going to say this is kind of fallen in the middle for me, and I do, I, I do really like. I want to drive home once again that there will be a little bit more of this coming up. But you know, we we talked about Brady Bunch. You had a way harder time with Brady Bunch than I did yeah. back in the day. But this is just better in 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 every way. Um, and I, I really think this is super clever. It's not like my all time favorite or anything, but it's going to go towards the high middle, I suppose. So I'm going to put it incredibly. I'm going <laughs> to, I just have to say, cause, uh, for the listeners, Matt and I have a shared, uh, like board here where we keep all of our stats so we can keep track of it for ourselves. And Matt, I think just randomly put this in a spot. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Matt just like casually dropped it in the exact spot I was going to say, which is uh, it's going to be right in between addicted to spuds and alimony. I can't believe you did that, Matt. I I was about to say it. And then I looked at the sheet. I was like, wait, what am I tripping? Did I already do this? Have we gone back in time? Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I just was like, well, I know it's not going to be at the bottom, so let me just drop it somewhere and then I'll move it. You nailed it. You nailed it. I don't even Um, need to rank him anymore. Matt can do my rankings for me. uh, I'm going to be kind of in the similar vein. Um, Mine is definitely above alimony and below uh, addicted to spuds as well, but there's a little bit more in the middle there. Mm. Um, I'm going to plop this between the theme of Rocky 13, Ryer the Kaiser, and My Bologna. Um, I think that the recording of this is just not, and that's not a diss to the song My Bologna, but in a weird way, while this is literally him 95% 95% of the time just singing lyrics of a already written TV show theme song over top of mm-hmm. the music of an already established song. 
I still think that the stuff that I have below it, which is my Bologna and I love Rocky Road, are like fun and cute, but still very pedestrian to what I've come to expect from Al now that we're at this part of his career where like, I love Rocky Road and my Bologna. There's large chunks of it where it's like, you're essentially just singing the song and changing a word like a Mad Lib where this is like way more interesting in the way that it's been like weirdly constructed and pieced together in a way that shouldn't work. Um, but but strangely does. So that's where I'm placing it. But now I am so excited for this because poor Patrick has only been here for an Al TV. We didn't we didn't do this with Al TVs. Well, that wouldn't make any second. sense. Matt, don't forget, <laughs> we also have to rank a music video. That's right. We do have to rank wow. a music video for this one. You know what? It's almost like part of me is like, oh, this is barely a music video. Uh, I actually think I'm going to plop this at the very bottom of my list, I think, for the music video. No disrespect to David Silverman, but you said it really well, Matt. It's kind of boring. <laughs> it, it is. I, and you know what's oddly, like, especially, and maybe it's not fair to judge the music video this way, but especially in the context of UHF. Like, the thing that bums me out about this, watching UHF, is that in the grand scheme of that movie, this is, like, a low light. Yeah. And it shouldn't be. That's not fair. Like, well, it, unless it's, you're yeah. Patrick McDonald, who showed up for a musical and was like, where's the music? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, but in the context of the movie, it just has very little function, and it's it's not as... It's not as funny as any of the other musical sketches that he has right. gotten into this this movie. It's it's yeah. oddly just like they dropped a music video into the middle of this uh, film. Uh, so I'm going to agree. I'm going to put it at the bottom. And again, it's not it's not bad. It's just not nearly as uh, as like funny or entertaining to watch on its surface. The the best thing about it is how close they got it to the original yeah. and how I, how good it looks. I could be For totally sure. wrong, but I'm pretty sure that that VHS tape that I talk about, the Weird Al music video collection, does not include this song on it. Like, I'm oh, pretty sure that that they even were just like, ah, that's a scene from a movie. It's not true. And he was, like, he, Al, as we know, Al was very upset about the asterisk. Yeah, so he that's did not probably like what that asterisk. All right, now's the part that everybody's been yeah. waiting on. Patrick, oh, we've boy. sent you the guest okay. li- rankings. First and foremost, where are you putting money for nothing slash Beverly Hillbillies asterisk? Okay, so this is this is a great list. I've I've really poured over things. I literally looked up a bunch of specific lyrics because I was like, what are some lyrics that I prefer more than other lyrics? Um, I, I want this to be very important. Uh, I I I think it's gonna hover around where lasagna is right now on tw- at twelve. Um, uh, it might go a little up. To me, it's like it's the song from his movie, so it's a little important to me. But it's not. I don't think it's like. You know, it's definitely not as good as like a surgeon, and I think like a sh- surgeon should stay there. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna put money for nothing above slime creatures. Okay, so we'll make it cool. That'll make it twelve. Okay, perfect. perfect. Just great. wanted to clarify that real quick. Um, and all great. right, you can move any one of these anywhere you okay. want. Where where this are you re ranking this? Okay, so I can move one up to something else, right? Or back. or one down. I can move one down. If you can say or that down. is way too high, man. Where's Girls Just Want to Have Lunch? Is it still last? Yeah, it's yes. still dead last. I think that's disrespectful. I'm going to move that up to 15. Girls Just Want to Have Lunch moved up to 15. I love that. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> love it. Patrick, you are always such a lovely guest. You will absolutely oh be back uh, whether you want to or not. And before we sign off, where can people go to check out your comedy, your Jimmy Buffett uh, fandom, and all of that other good oh, jazz? yeah. Um, uh, I am at, uh, on Instagram at Patrick, 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 Patrick. That's four Patrick's, uh, uh, on Twitter at Patrick McDonald zero instead of an O. And then you can find our, uh, you can find me on Friday nights on radio Margaritaville series XM channel 24. Uh, and then our podcast licensed to chill the official Margaritaville podcast, which just launched like two months ago, uh, is wherever you get your podcast and on Sirius XM and all that stuff. Um, and then other than that, yeah, I also have an improv podcast called Artists on Artists on Artists on Artists, which is an improvised uh, roundtable. So we do like, you know, bullshit pretentious roundtables about all kinds of topics with a bunch of fun guests. So uh, that's on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast as well. Awesome. Well, Patrick, we will have you back. Maybe something I've been kicking around in my brain space is, uh, you know, you love that food album. I do. And- and eventually we're going to get to the food album. We got to figure out what to do for the food album because we're not going to we're not going to re-review 
a bunch of songs that we've already that's covered. True. And ranked. It's a compilation. So I mean, that's the thing I was gonna say too. I from what I've been, you know, I study uh, musicians who go through the '90s, and you're about to hit the box set era in a massive Ooh, way. Weird Al leans into the box set era. It's such a funny era of music because people build these box sets out of nowhere. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it's really funny. Uh, but yeah, I know it's interesting. Maybe you'll have to do some sort of food episode. Where you well, so what I was thinking, let's we'll, we'll yeah. uh, we're we're good with working with our audience here. Let me spitball this to the three of you. Yes. What if? What if we did an Al food song draft where we could pull songs even that came out after the food album? Wow. And we just do a round robin draft of the three of us trying to get our favorite Al Yankovic food songs in honor of the food album. I'm game. I'm game. That sounds fun. I like that. That sounds like a challenge. That sounds okay. fun. I'm into that. Yeah. All right. I Let's think do I'm in. I think that's the plan then, guys. So Sweet, stay gorgeous. tuned. Unless you guys sound off in the Facebook group if you absolutely hate this idea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to get comments. And as per usual, Tell we reserve the right to completely ignore you. I completely ignore you. <laughs> um, don't forget, at the end of every one of these albums, we do a mailbag episode as yes. well. Uh, a mail bag, uh, as I spell it in the <laughs> in the episode titles. Uh, but yeah, get those emails to us with your thoughts on UHF throughout the next couple episodes, and we'll most likely read all of them. Yes. <laughs> so, so stay tuned, and we'll be back with even more Al Yankovic goodness. <laughs> It is mind-blowing and heartbreaking how many original scripts are written every year but are never made. So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! Hey, welcome to Unstable Topics, a fast-paced, jam-packed, unhinged, bestie podcast filled with facts, reacts, and made-up games in between. We're your hosts, Sarah and Maggie, and we're excited for you to join our best friend hangout, where we surprise one another with things we find interesting or hilarious just to see how the other will react. Our friendship might be totally stable, but you never know what your bestie might throw your way to knock you off your game. So come shake things up, learn something new, and laugh along with us. This is Unstable Topics. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 